journalists are afraid that Donald Trump is a danger to free speech and feel that anyone who disagrees should be banned from social media. Alexandria Google Cortez is afraid that Donald Trump is a danger to free speech, and her rallies are now off limits to journalists who are afraid that Donald Trump is a danger to free speech. Late night comedians are afraid Donald Trump is a danger to diversity, so every single one of them is making jokes about Donald Trump because they all believe the same thing. None of the comedians is making jokes about Google Cortez, who has banned journalists who are afraid Donald Trump is a danger to free speech, while conservatives are being banned from social media by leftists who are not a danger to free speech because they're banning the speech of conservatives who are a danger to free speech because they are banning the speech of no one. Antifas against fascists, so they are wearing masks and beating people up who disagree with them because people who disagree with them are fascists who journalists feel are a danger to free speech because they aren't beating anyone up but are being banned from social media because they are a danger to the free speech of journalists who are united in being in favor of diversity because they all believe the same thing, which is that Donald Trump is a danger to free speech because he is criticizing journalists, which journalists feel is a danger to free speech because it's free speech. Alex Jones is a crazy conspiracy theorist, and so powerful social media corporations have conspired to silence him because he has proved himself to be a danger to free speech because he hasn't silenced anyone and believes in conspiracies which have silenced him. So in general, I think we can safely say that leftists believe conservatives are a danger to free speech, and so they silence them because leftists believe that free speech is a danger to free speech. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing. Hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy. The world is zippity-zing. It's a wonderful day. Hurrah, hooray. It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, All right, the lovely and talented Michael Knowles will be with us. He's been rescued from the future's future unemployment. Does anybody work back there? They do these elaborate jokes. They've got flames coming out of the driveway. Am I the only person who's doing anything? Anyway, we're glad to have him back as our cultural correspondent. And we've got Skillshare. You know, over the weekend, I set up my new uh, uh, keyboard because I want to teach myself to play piano. And Skillshare is a great place to go to learn stuff because Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 20,000 classes in business, design, technology, and more. You can take classes in just about anything, social media marketing, illustration, data science, creative writing, you name it. They have got it. I have tested them out. I've tested them out on things I know about, like writing, and they give very good advice for how to get started. And I've tested them out on things that I don't know about, like uh, podcasting when we wanted to do Another Kingdom. I actually took some of their classes. Really good stuff. Experts giving you a series of classes that are, you know, you don't have to pay for more in the middle of them. You pay for Skillshare and then you get them all. Whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start a side hustle, or just explore a new passion, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for my listeners. You get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right. Skillshare is offering the Andrew Clavin Show listeners two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Andrew. Skillshare.com slash Andrew. Two months for 99 cents at Skillshare.com slash Andrew. 99 cents is like nothing. It's nothing. You know, it's like... 2,000 classes. Come on. All right. So, you know, I'm not the first person to notice this, but obviously we know that when the left accuses you of something, it's usually something they do, 
very big on projection. They accuse the right of racism because they think everything is about race because they're racists. So they accuse us of racism because they're racist. They accuse us of sexism and they treat women feminists, especially they treat women like these irrational little flowers who fold up as anything. You know, it's like, I mean, we don't do that, but they accuse us of that. But the important one that they're doing now to Donald Trump is they accuse us of going insane because they are going insane. I mean, they are going nuts. You know, we are in the midst of, midst. you know, when, when conservatives are very bad at discussing the culture, they really do not know the culture. And I despair of it because even our brightest guys who seem to be talking about the culture, sometimes they're not doing it very well. And one of the things that we mistake is we mistake the products of the last culture, which is like what's happening now, Donald Trump, which, who's the product of the culture of the last 50 years, with the culture, what's happening in the culture now. Donald Trump is the creation. What we are experiencing now is the breakdown of feminist culture. We're watching the feminist culture of the last decades collapse. So the minute Donald Trump, you know, took, uh, office, we had women walking around the streets with hats, which represented the fact that their vaginas are now where their brains are supposed to be, you know? So we're watching feminist culture break down entirely. The Me Too movement, you know, we're suddenly finding, oh, all those guys who support, even the woman, that, that actress who was the head of the Me Too movement has now been charged with a, abusing a guy. We're finding out that feminist uh, sexuality and feminism in the workplace didn't really work out that well for women. So it's all kind of, that's all kind of breaking down. But Trump is a creation of feminist culture because feminists, you know how they say with guns that if you outlaw guns, only outlaws will have guns. Well, under feminist culture, they outlawed masculinity. So only outlaws could be masculine. And if you look back at the culture of the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years, what are the shows that feature the most masculine men? You get The Sopranos, you get Breaking Bad. I was, I was at the Sony lot pitching a television show to this woman. And I look out the window, this producer, and I look out the window and there's a van outside and people are walking up to this van and touching it like it is the true cross. I mean, seriously. And, and finally, as I finished my pitch, I said, what is that? What is that? And she said, that's the van where the guy in Breaking Bad cooks the meth. And I said, they're worshiping the van of a meth dealer. That's what we're doing. And if you watch Breaking Bad, people always say that I've always I've heard this from a, a dozen women in Hollywood who work in Hollywood. They'll say to me, well, people uh, support and have sympathy with the meth dealer in Breaking Bad because he's doing it for his family. That's not why. If you watch the first episode of Breaking Bad, he's a wimp. He is henpecked. His wife controls him. Everybody dominates him. And what we watch is through becoming a meth dealer, he becomes a man. And that's why he's appealing. Tony Soprano, the reason we follow him is because he's a man. Donald Trump is a product of a culture in which only outlaws can be men. That is why he is so disturbing to us when he does the stuff he does. And yet, we support him and we sympathize with him because we see that they outlawed being a man. And this is guy who comes in and says, I don't care what you say about me. I don't care. You know, did I say the N word? Too bad, pal. That's too bad. You know, it's, it's just I'm not going to let you tell me what to say. I'm not going to let you tell me what to think. I'm not going to let you tell me what to do. And like <clears throat> what, what we do and what has happened now. Since that that outlaw male has triumphed, the Breaking Bad guy is essentially running the country, although he's not he's not an outlaw in the sense of criminal. He's just an outlaw in the sense that he's against the culture. The, the left has gone insane. It's gone insane. You know, I, I hear people sometimes say, I heard Ben say this. He said, 
that a, a man who thinks he's a woman, a transgender man, is mentally ill. I don't think he's mentally ill. He may have, you know, physical things. We don't know what he, what's going on inside him. Mean, he may not be mentally ill. But the guy who tells you he's a woman because he says so, he's mentally ill, and he's the editor of the New York Times. The people who are talking on air are nuts. And so that's what they are accusing Donald Trump of. They are you know, you want to see you want to see how nuts they are. I, I put together we we had the guys here put together a little montage of what they're just saying this weekend about Donald Trump. Here is the nutball montage from the left. In Nazi Germany, Hitler told people what they were going to do, and assumed that no one was going to get in his way. And Donald Trump has assumed that no one would get in his way. And so far, if you look at the silence of Congress. He's right. This is a white supremacist country, and we have to deal with that every day in everything, in how we relate to the police and how we relate to jobs and how we relate to the criminal justice system in everything. I believe he wants to start a race war in this country. Well, he's, he's not, not, he's not, the not rounding the people up and murdering, American. murdering them yeah. without any, uh, you know, yeah. due process. He'd certainly yeah. like to. Uh, well, uh, well, anyway, I, but, I, I don't yeah. think you can say that I definitively. Get out. That's the left over one weekend. Katie Tour saying, well, he's not rounding up people and killing them. And the woman who says that he he is, he'd like to, he'd like to be rounding up. That's that's a woman from the from Knucklehead Row. That's Michelle Goldberg from The New York Times. These people are Looney Tunes. Okay, they are Looney Tunes. So over the weekend, there's this story. Um. And by the way, Molly Hemingway, I got to point this out. Molly Hemingway has said she she had a tweet that came out. If you think of media coverage and other resistance activity as a Westworld like loop where they alone are unaware they're repeating themselves, it all makes more sense. They're on the obstruction loop. They're on the obstruction loop. They'll soon hit the 25th Amendment one again. That's where you replace the president because he's nuts. Okay, so that that was something she said like a year ago. That was something Molly said like a year ago. So over the weekend, Maggie Haberman and her colleague at the New York Times, they write a story. And let's remember that Maggie Haberman, there was a, in January 2015, there was a strategic memo from the Clinton campaign, from the Clinton campaign. The memo was called Shaping a Public Narrative. This is from Cheryl Atkinson's book, right? And Clinton officials described Maggie Haberman, who then worked for Politico, as an ideal, friendly journalist willing to generate positive press for the Clinton campaign. We feel that it's important to go with what is safe and what has worked in the past. We've had a very good relationship with Maggie Haberman of Politico over the past year. We've had her tee up stories for us and have never been disappointed. That's Maggie Haberman. That Now she's the New York Times White House correspondent. And they hired her after this stuff came out, right? So, the, ooh, there's a Clinton operative. There's a Clinton, uh, you know, uh, a toady. Put her on the White House to cover Trump. Well, I guess maybe they thought she was going to be covering. I don't know. Did they hire her after Trump? I can't remember. But maybe they thought she was going to be covering Clinton so they could give, give her all the love they wanted to give her. So now they run a story about Donald McGahn, who is White House counsel that he's talking to Robert Mueller. And that's a breathless story from Maggie Haberman and, and one other reporter. And it's about, he's, he, he, uh, that McGahn has given a mix of damaging and favorable information about the president, but he said Mr. Trump did not go beyond his legal authority as a president, but he's been given all this stuff. And the, the original uh, story was just full of like this thing that uh, McGahn had become John Dean. He's turning it all over to the Mueller investigation. So Trump, 
you know, is, is furious. And he goes off and he tweets. And he says, the failing New York Times wrote a fake piece today implying that because White House counsel Don McGahn was giving hours of testimony to the special counsel, he must be a John Dean type rat. But I allowed him and all the others to testify and have demanded transparency so this rigged and disgusting witch hunt can come to a close. So many lives have been ruined over nothing. McCarthyism at its worst, yet Mueller and his gang of Dems refuse to look at the real crimes on the other side, and the media is even worse. So, <clears throat> so first of all, in order for McGahn to testify to Robert Mueller, he's the White House counsel, right? So they have to waive executive privilege. So Donald Trump waived executive privilege it is proof positive that what he is saying is true, that he let the guy go over there. And so what the Times does is they put together stuff from Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon said, oh, we shouldn't waive executive privilege. It's dangerous. We shouldn't. Basically, they put together this idea that, that Trump allowed this to happen, but somehow it's all gone out of control. And Trump objects because it's a phony story. It's a ridiculous story. The way it is written is ridiculous and false. And, and, it's, and also, on top of which, where's the information coming from? It's got to be coming from Mueller, right? It's got to be coming from the Mueller investigation. So Trump goes off and he puts out, I don't know, you know his usual number of tweets, of just absolutely condemning this. So remember what Molly said. Molly said, firstly, go for obstruction of justice. And this is what they say Mueller is investigating. When that doesn't stick, it's he's crazy. So in reaction to this, Joe Scar Scarborough tweets, Anyone who has known Trump for years and doesn't have a stake in his political career or the GOP says the same. He is unwell and has been getting progressively worse over the past 18 months. Molly's right there in Westworld. They're play playing out. They're robots playing out the resistance loop and they don't know it. Here's Brian Stelter saying the same thing. There's so much wrong with these tweets. He even misspells the word counsel. And, and it doesn't stop there. Here are six of the tweets today. At one point, he's comparing Mueller to Joseph McCarthy. You'd look at this if you were in some other foreign capital and you'd say, is, is the president OK? Is he all right? He's nuts. He's a crazy man. They're saying he's Hitler. I remember, by the way, that was that was Reagan's daughter. I remember when Reagan was Hitler. I remember when George W. Bush was Hitler. Everybody that disagrees with the left is Hitler. And then and then they have, uh, uh, you, know, you know, they really they just have to pay the president some respect, I think. R-E-S-P-I-C-T. <laughs> Maybe they should pay him some respect. I don't know. Whatever, whatever he says, this is who we're dealing with. This is, these, are their, <laughs> these are their best guys. And they're yelling about Trump is insane. And then, and then, I, I love this stuff. This is, this is just, they are so comical at this point. Chuck Todd has Rudy Giuliani on. And, the, you know, let, let's think about this for a minute, right? The Mueller investigation is clearly linking to Clinton, Toady, Maggie Haberman at the New York Times. Clearly they're leaking, which should be illegal. I think it is illegal to do. And, and so now, so they're obviously looking to get him on obstruction of justice. And of course, once you are interviewed by the feds, make a mistake, say something that's a little overblown. And, you know, Trump is not exactly the most precise guy in his speech. Trump goes in there, he's interviewed by Mueller. They get him on lying. Because he says, oh, you know, yeah, I remember how my crowds were bigger than Obama's. They go out and find, an oh, his crowds were 15 people less, and they bring him up on federal charges. And so Giuliani is trying to protect him. So, so Chuck Todd brings Giuliani on, and Giuliani is trying to explain to him that, you know, you can get caught in a perjury trap, even if you're not committing real perjury, the kind of perjury that we think of as perjury. So he gets him, they get, get talking, and here's what Giuliani says. Look, I'm not going to be rushed into having him testify so that he gets trapped into perjury. 
And when you tell me that, you know, he should testify because he's going to tell the truth and he shouldn't worry. Well, that's so silly because it's somebody's version of the truth, not the truth. He didn't have a, a conversation. Truth is about, truth. I, I don't mean to go like. I, no, I it isn't truth. Truth isn't truth. The president of the United States says I didn't. Truth isn't I, truth. Mr. Mayor, do you realize what I, I, I no, I, no, no. This is going to become a bad don't, 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 do, don't, do, don't do this to me. You see, Giuliani knows exactly what happens. He, he said something a little awkward because Chuck Todd said truth is truth, which obviously is not true in a case like this. In a case like this, it's who says what and where they can set you up and how they can get you. And so he says truth isn't truth. And so that becomes the big headline, just like, just exactly like Mitt Romney saying, I put women in binders. I had all these women in binders. And suddenly that became true. Uh, Proof that Mitt Romney was abusing these poor women, shoving them into binders. Just there, all you could see was their high heels coming out of the binder. It was disgusting. It was a horrible, horrible. It was like an atrocity, you know, an atrocity. Because, because they own the echo chamber. So they can take that out of context where he was clearly saying, you only get a version of the truth. You don't get the truth from people. They take it out of context and they think, oh my gosh, we have him. We've got him. It's the echo chamber. He's in the echo chamber. And they're going to repeat this forever. They're going to repeat this forever. What they don't understand, they have not gotten yet, is that Trump has an echo chamber too. And some people on the right who are so anti-Trump, they don't understand that this is a good thing. It is a good thing that Trump is, is creating another kind of echo chamber. They don't understand. We're not listening to them anymore. They're nuts. They're sitting around saying that, it, that Trump is Hitler. They're saying he wants to round people up and shoot them. They're saying he wants wants to start a race war. They're saying they're living, my favorite, they're living in The Handmaid's Tale. I just have this picture of these left-wing billionaire matrons sitting out on Martha's Vineyard saying, yes, it's terrible. You know, it's, it's like the handmaid, in The Handmaid's Tale, darling. Bring, would you bring me another cocktail, please? Yes, we're in The Handmaid's Tale. You know, they're living in this imaginary world, and they think we're going to join them, too. And then when Trump strikes back, it's like daddy's home. When Trump strikes back, it's like, oh, he hit me. Oh, my. You know, it's like, you know, the little kid who annoys you and annoys you and annoys you and you finally give him a smack. And it's like, what did, I, what did you do to me? You know, that's what they act like. He takes away this this perfidious gas bag. John Brennan is accusing that he's a CIA, ex-CIA director and communist, accusing the president of treason, right? And Trump says, you know, that's out of line. I'm taking away your security clearance so you can't go around cashing in on your, your government service by calling the president of the United States, uh, you know, treason. So, so the gas bag tries to pull this back. First, he tries to pull it back. And, um, and even on MSNBC, they're calling him on the fact that he called the president a traitor. So here he is trying to dial it back for the president of the United States to continue to prevaricate on this issue, I think does a, a great injustice and a disservice to the men and women of the intelligence law enforcement community and does a great disservice to the uh, citizens of the United States. And that's why I said it was nothing short of treasonous. I didn't mean that he committed treason, but it was a term that I used, nothing short of treasonous. Well, you didn't mean that he committed treason, though. I said it's nothing short of treasonous. That was the term that I used, yeah. That's the... If we if we diagram the sentence, nothing short of treasonous means it's treason. This, Rachel Maddow, that is Maddow, right? It's not Knowles, that's Maddow. Yeah, no, Rachel Maddow, <laughs> Robert, Michael Knowles, lookalike uh, Rachel Maddow, is herself is saying, if you say it's nothing short of treasonous, he committed treason. Well, I didn't say he committed treason, but then Chuck Todd has him on and he's back again. This is this is like where this guy is. After getting one smack in the face, he's suddenly a toddler who doesn't know what he's talking about. Do you regret 
essentially accusing the president of treason. Do you, do you regret some of the things you have said? Uh, I called his behavior treasonous, which is to betray one's trust and to aid and abet the enemy. And I stand very much by that uh, claim. You are the former CIA actions. director accusing the sitting president of the United States. It's not a private citizen. A lot of people hear the former CIA director accusing the sitting president of the United States of treason. That's, that's, monum that's a monumental accusation. Uh, well, I think these are abnormal times. <laughs> See, even Chuck Todd knows you've got to pay the president some respect. R E S P I C T. Or some respects. You've got to pay the president some respects because without respect, the whole world, you know, if we don't respect one another, the whole world falls apart. What I love is, you know, John Brennan, the reason he's such a gas bag is because he was at the center of a conspiracy to use our intelligence services to spy on a political candidate. That is what he did. He pushed, he pushed this completely unproven steel uh, document, these, these unproven allegations from the opposition party. He pushed them on Comey. He leaked them to the press. He, he did all this stuff and he knows it. And he's basically covering it up with all this gas baggery. So now there's suddenly a danger to these guys that their gas baggery is going to cost them their very expensive security clearance. And suddenly you, you watch them, they're scrambling like roaches. James Clapper, who's also involved in this, who also, like John Brennan, lied to Congress under oath, right? This is another guy who lied to Congress under oath, and they're talking to us about how evil Donald Trump is. I don't think Donald Trump has lied to anybody under oath. I haven't seen him do that. They call him a liar, but he hasn't perjured himself that I've seen. Here's James Clapper dumping his fellow spy. He's throwing John, uh, John Brennan under the bus. Uh, you know, John uh, is, is sort of like a freight train, and uh, he's going to say what's on his mind. Uh, I think, though, that the common denominator among all of us that have been speaking up, though, is genuine concern about the jeopardy or threats to institutions and values. And although we may express that in, in, in different ways, and I think that's what this, this really is about. But John and, and his rhetoric have become, uh, I think, an issue in and of itself. John and his rhetoric have become an issue in and of itself. It sounds like uh, John Brennan is uh, losing some of his colleagues' respect. That's uh... yes, P I C T. <laughs> I can't stop. I can't stop it. I'm just like, oh my goodness, respect, respect. So these guys expect us to. to they expect us to respect them, and yet, and yet they, you know, they're calling Trump. Uh, insane and they are going insane. They're going insane because their culture is falling apart. Their culture is genuinely falling apart. They, they, they're, every word they told us about women was untrue. Every word they told us about men, untrue. Most of the stuff they told us about the treatment of black people after a certain period in American history where there was shameful treatment of black people everywhere, but here too, all of it untrue. And those lies are falling apart. And Trump, because he is an outlaw male, because he is doing that thing that we kind of respected and liked when we watched The Sopranos, when we watched Breaking Bad, he's doing that thing where he is breaking the rules, the rules that they established. They're falling apart. Their culture is collapsing inward and they're going nuts. I mean, what you are looking when somebody when somebody at The New York Times, which used to be a newspaper, right? The, the, it's, I'm not kidding about this. When I call it a former newspaper, Back in the 80s, say, the New York Times was a newspaper reporting the news, a little left-wing leaning, sure, but I mean, it was not peddling fake news. Now, it is peddling fake news. They have a thing, you know, 
there, there are these new documents coming in about Bruce Orr, and we are going to find out some tremendous stuff about this guy, right? This is the guy who was the Associate Deputy Attorney General, number four at the Justice Department. His wife worked for Fusion GPS, remember the oppo research team that went after Trump for uh, paid by Hillary Clinton and the DNC, and also was related to that uh, Russian lawyer whose name I can never pronounce, who had the meeting with Don Jr. So they're in the thick of this oppo operation against Donald Trump, Bruce Orr's wife, Nellie, works for them. She's feeding information to him. He's feeding information direct from the head of Fusion GPS to the, uh, to the FBI, okay? Long after Steele has been fired and is not supposed to be working for them, he's still pumping this anti-Trump information into him. And Kimberly Strassel, who has been really on top of this at the Wall Street Journal, writes a whole piece about this. The New York Times, the New York Times runs a story headlined, Embracing conspiracy theory, Trump escalates attack on Bruce Orr. Now, Bruce Orr, remember, number four at the Justice Department, that's a big deal, has, been, has since been demoted. So this is their lead. President Trump threatened on Friday to quickly revoke the security clearance of Bruce Orr, a little-known Justice Department official. And they go on in this vein forever, trying to convince us that Bruce Orr is a nobody. It's just a conspiracy theory. I mean, this and this is because, this is to uh, insulate Orr from these new documents that have just been turned over after a massive fight with Congress. After a massive fight, they have finally extracted Orr's notes and his emails and all that stuff. By the end of this week, I think we will know a lot of stuff that went on that is absolutely shameful. And the New York Times is running interference for it. If you work for the New York Times, if you work for the New York Times, you wake every, up every morning to work with liars and clowns. I mean, that is what you do. That is who you are. You know, like I come here and sure, I work with Knowles, but otherwise I work with a bunch of really good, honest people. We argue, we discuss, we try and be fair. If I'm not fair, Shapiro will come in here and tell me, I will tell him. We will, we will talk about these things constantly. At the New York Times, you are working for people who lie. You are a liar working for people who lie. That is the thing. So when they say that Trump's a liar, and look, Trump ain't honest Abe. Nobody's going to say that he is. Trump is not honest Abe Lincoln. He, the, Trump exaggerates. He ducks. He, you know, he, he dives, when, especially when he's done something wrong and he's caught. He lies outwardly. But he's up against crazy lying people. That's who he's up against. And they're calling him crazy. They're calling him a liar because that's what the left does. They project their faults on to you. Hey, do we, uh, when is uh, Knowles' uh, conversation? Uh, Wednesday. Tomorrow. It's tomorrow. It's tomorrow. Yeah. So tomorrow, tune in the conversation. I don't have the copy in front of me, but I think it's at 530 Eastern. Is that it? And or 230 uh, Pacific time and uh, Elisha will be talking to Knowles and Knowles will tell you everything he knows. So it should be what about a three minute, four minute show. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. And I want you to hammer him about the Catholic Church this week. Don't let him off the hook on this Catholic Church. I want to see him dance. I want to. I want it to be like one of those westerns where you shoot at the guy's feet, and say dance, partner, dance. All right, we're going to bring Knowles on in just a minute. But I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come on over to thedailywire.com and subscribe because you got to subscribe to be in the conversation. Conversation so you can shoot at Knowles's feet. All right, Knowles, how you doing? I'm here. Hey, thanks for all the kind words I assume you were saying about me. I couldn't hear the early part of the show, but I assume it was all very nice. I was, just, I was lavishing, lavishing praise. <laughs> 
I told them to come after you on your conversation tomorrow. I told them to come after you uh, for the Catholic Church. And I, I want you to be personally blamed for everything. I, I think that's fair enough. Yeah. I th- you know, I... I realized uh, that uh, one of the unpopular realizations of this whole Catholic scandal is that the the main guy to blame is the devil, and people regularly confuse me with the devil. So that, I think that's totally fair. Why is that? It's just a, it's just a strange resemblance. Something about my hair, yeah, I don't know, my teeth, my fangs. I don't. You, I will say though, I have to be kind to you. You are doing a great job on Another Kingdom. We've now we've now done three episodes, right? I we've think we're three in now. Yeah. Yeah. So we're getting ready to roll early October. I think is our our date. This is, I'm really excited for this. I hope people uh, binge the first season so that they're caught up on it. Yeah. But you don't really need to be. You can you can dive right into this. It totally holds up. The story is uh, is better this season <laughs> than the first time. This is a good, it's a good story. Yeah. There are not many sequels that are better than the original. Uh, it's The Godfather, right? Uh, Pocahontas. I don't know. There are a few. And, uh, but uh, this one really is so fun. And, you know, from last year, uh, doing this in your attic while we're sweating and police sirens are going by, to now we've got some really cool stuff planned for visual aspects and uh, sets, and it's it's pretty high quality, the man. The visual aspects are incredible. I mean, Rebecca Shapiro, the talented Shapiro, is, yeah, uh, right. <laughs> is doing <laughs> some of the art. It really looks great. Anyway, but that has nothing to do with what I, I cruelly sent you out to today as, uh, uh, to, to cover, what is it called? Rise for Roe? Rise for Roe. No, Rise for Roe. They're so clever. Though, because it's Roe v. Wade. It's we Roe have v. to Wade. celebrate killing all those babies. I love that. I saw there was some ice cream. Did you see that? There was. Uh, <laughs> did you see this? The abortion ice cream from Narrow or something? Oh, I like did that? see this. Yes. Uh, uh, Roe, Rocky Roe, I think is what it Rocky is. Like Rocky Roe. Road. It's Rocky Roe. Well, that's good because after you kill the children, you eat them. There's you nothing, eat them nothing, up nothing, like... Nothing wrong here. Yeah. There's nothing... <laughs> 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 Right. Oh, ha, ha, ha. I, I would have given this ice cream to my little child. Had I, right, exactly. I mean, it's so it's so unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, it is unbelievable. Because it yeah. the, uh, it's really, I mean, it's, it's sort of funny in this very dark way. Right. But they're right. using this symbol of childhood to celebrate killing children. Uh, it is amazing. But it, it is what, you know, I was saying this when we were talking about the Catholic scandal. There, it is what evil does to people. It makes them it makes them laugh at the mm. worst things. It gives them this a sense of, of humor about other people's suffering. It, it's bizarre. Bad ideas do this to people. That is true. You know, you see this all around with the, ho- uh, the Hollywood pedophilia scandals. Yeah. They're all making these crazy jokes. And this is amazing. So this uh, event, Rise for Roe, it's going all around the country. It's being run by these five basically unemployable Democrat hacks. It's, you know, this woman, Lauren Duca, this radical abortion advocate, she writes for Teen Vogue. That's oh, her, yeah. That's her outlet, <laughs> really. Uh, Bernie Sanders' press secretary is there. Another lady, Rocchetto, who runs a bunch of lefty groups. A couple others who run these lefty groups. And, of course, the devil herself, Cecile Richards, <laughs> is sitting around there. Oh, is she there? She, she was there. Yeah. And uh, Alyssa Milano, the actress, the, the former actress and now... Twitter personality yeah. uh, was there. She, you know, she dressed up like um, the woman from The Handmaid's Tale. Did she well, really? She did. It's really. I hope uh, maybe we'll get the picture. It's did- her holding a sign, which of course the internet has had great fun with. Her frowning, you know, looking like <laughs> the lady in The Handmaid's Tale. And this is the story, you know. Uh, the, the left has always relied on useful idiots yeah. from Lenin and Stalin onward. <laughs> so now you've got the kind of Soros type, Cecile Richards. These aren't stupid people. These are serious people. And then you have Alyssa Milano. <laughs> and Alyssa Milano, her, her line on all of this is, it is effing absurd 
that we're still fighting for abortion. If Kavanaugh is confirmed, it, quote, will literally affect everything we know to be true as American citizens. It will really literally affect everything we know to be true as American citizens. Boy, he's a pow- that's a powerful position. That's good. Can, I should get that job. Yeah. I, I, it didn't occur to me. that you, I thought mostly you were analyzing tax laws and stuff like that. You know, not to, not to leave the subject, but just for a minute, the New Yorker today did, ran an article, this week did an article in which Lawrence Tribe, the Harvard uh, law guy, mm-hmm. who said that it was analyzing Kavanaugh's sports reporting in college to see what kind of a, a judge he would be. And he said, you know, you can see he gives too much power to the executive in mm-hmm. his references to umpires. It was like, it was un- I, I couldn't have made it up. It was beautiful. And he was burning them like tea leaves. He was like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, of course, you, it, is, it is beyond parody now. Actually, the only person who's being honest about all of this is Chelsea Clinton uh, with this Rise for Rose stuff. But I'll get to that in a second. All right. uh, so this all took place at the El Rey Theater. You know the El Rey Theater. It's about 700-person theater in L.A. You would expect this big popular movement being put on by Planned Parenthood, by the the pro-abortion NARAL, that it would be this big rally, right? No, of course not. It's in a 700-person theater. I don't know if they filled it up. It's unclear. To put this in perspective, Ben, I was just at Ben's live show the other day in Dallas and Phoenix. He put on just regular podcasts in a 4,000-person theater. Wow, which was packed. Which was utterly packed, yeah, yeah. you know, standing room only. We had to turn people away. So that's just a sense of that. The reason why uh, abortion is, uh, pro-abortion advocates are so diminishing in their influence is because all of the lies are being exposed. For years and years, we heard five to 10,000 women a year die from back alley yeah. illegal abortions before Roe. That isn't true. We know exactly how many women died from illegal abortions before Roe. That number is 39 not 3,900, not 39,000. Over, over what period of time? One, one year. 39 one year, women 39 died from women, okay, illegal okay. abortions. Across the country. Across the country. And 24 women died from legal abortions that same year. Yeah. So now when you, when you consider that only 20 states had legal abortion at that time, it, you actually realize that uh, illegal and legal abortion were statistically just as dangerous <laughs> right, that, that year. Where did the 10,000 number come from? It was pulled out of thin air. And we only know this because the man who pulled that number out of thin air admitted to it. Uh, Dr. Bernard Nathanson, uh, he was the founder of NARAL, the biggest pro, pro-abortion group. He had a come-to-Jesus moment, and he said, this is his exact quote, quote, it was always five to 10,000 deaths a year. I confess that I knew the figures were totally false, and I suppose the others did too if they stopped to think of it, but in the morality of our revolution, it was a useful figure widely accepted, and why go out of our way to correct it with honest statistics? Mm-hmm. The overriding concern was to get the laws eliminated. Anything within reason that had to be done was permissible. Wow. So this, this wow, lie has been it. debunked by the guy who started it. Yeah. Then you, we've always heard, oh, it's a clump of cells. It's not a human. It's a platypus or whatever these yeah. people say it is. Now we have images of 18-week-old babies sucking their thumbs in the womb. Sure. We have tw- right now you can get an abortion not just at 24, 26 weeks. There are places where you can get it far later than that. Yeah. And uh, we also see that babies born at 20 weeks, 21 weeks, are viable and they live. They live. And now some of those kids are three or four years old. Uh, All of those lies come out. Chelsea Clinton, I have to give her credit where credit is due. She made the only honest argument for uh, the Rise for Roe uh, parade, which is that abortion has added $3.5 trillion to the economy. That's her argument. 
Because women have aborted their children, they entered the workforce in higher numbers, and this added money to the economy, oh which is why God, abortion is good. Really? That's her argument? That is that's, her argument. That's like the clown who said it's cut crime because most of the aborted kids are black. That's, that's like, right. That's it, exactly it. These are the worst people in, in the country. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I actually have to give her credit, though, for just demonstrating the wickedness of that argument. Yeah. She said, yeah, I know. We try. Yeah, maybe it's a baby. Maybe it's this or that. But look but, at all the money. Look, at look the how money. rich we are. <laughs> look at the money you save. Yeah, we killed babies, but look at the money you save. It really, it adds new meaning you, to that Clinton know, phrase, it, it's the economy, stupid. Yeah, really, really. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it, it is amazing that the one of the top people in Naral came over to the other side, as, as did Roe. That's you know right. I mean? Roe Ro herself came over and is a pro-life advocate. Their, their icons desert them because they realize what they're doing. I mean, you don't, you don't really see a lot of pro-life leaders going over to the other side. You don't see abortion survivors, of whom there are many in yeah. the country and around the world, yes. who say, oh, no, now I'm a fierce abortion advocate. It doesn't happen. It, uh, it's sort of the argument I think of when, when it comes to the 2020 election from this advantage. From this vantage right now, we say, what votes did Trump lose? He's only gaining votes. That's kind of how I see the pro-life movement. Mm. What support has the pro-life movement lost? It's only gaining support. And don't be fooled by statistics. The country is almost evenly split on pro-life pro-choice. But when you drill down, should abortion be legal at 35 weeks, 30 weeks, 20 weeks, 15 weeks? It Should it be legal in cases outside of rape, incest, life of the mother? The numbers dwindle so significantly really? that the majority is with pro-life. There was a, a poll out at the end of last year that showed that 50% of women or something like that are consider themselves pro-choice. But when you drill down to it, uh, they really only believe that it should be legal in, uh, in emergency cases, rape, incest, and a threat to the health of the mother. And it is it is amazing to me that they get away, the press still gets away with asking that question of dopey Republican candidates who aren't ready for prime time and boggle the question. But they never, they just never ask the Democrats, should it be illegal, should it be legal if, should you be allowed to abort your baby if it's a girl instead and you want a boy? That's they right. never ask that question. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. the question you ask the other side. If you're a fair, honest journalist who doesn't want to take sides, I'll, I, I think a Republican should be able to handle the question about rape and incest, which is what, like 0.1% of abortions or some incredibly uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's far, far less than 1%. All of them, rape, incest, uh, threat to the life of the mother. Yeah. And, and they'll have to ask Chelsea. When Chelsea inevitably runs, they're going to have to ask, should we eat Irish children? You know, <laughs> should we? It is, they've become Swiftian in their, yeah, in their self-satire. Right. And uh, obviously, they'll never get the fair shake. We will never get the fair shake from the press on this. They will never push them. But even in spite of that, uh, it's, it seems the public opinion has shifted majorly in the direction of pro-life, which is why they ca can't fill a tiny theater in Los Angeles. And, and you know, the science is all on our side. I keep telling uh, the college kids this when I speak in schools because they ask, well, you know, are we going to win this fight and all this? And I say, look, the science, it, uh, eventually you're looking on a screen at a baby and you can see it's a baby. You know, you think like, eh, maybe I shouldn't kill the baby. You know, <laughs> it's like not, not such a good. Listen, before I let you go, I have to ask you one question. You saw this movie. Uh, what, what was the name of this picture? Sorry to bother you. And and it sorry got, it bothered it me. It got these wonderful reviews. You said it was trash, right? Drew, this is, that's right. I was on my sabbatical in the uh, ripped in the space-time continuum last <laughs> week for my cultural segment. It was 
the single worst movie I have ever seen. Really? And I should have known that because it had an almost perfect score, critics on Rotten Tomatoes, and it had about a 62% under the audience score. It was so, so bad. It's a communist movie. The director of the movie is a self-described communist. He says it's a communist movie. And the, way, the other reason I know it's a communist movie is it's not exactly subtle. It's this clumsy, clunky movie with mediocre... I'll call some of the acting was adequate. Some of it was not adequate. The writing was horrifically bad. It's anti-capitalist. It says that in free markets with economic liberty, jobs disappear and people are enslaved. Now you look around, we're at all-time <laughs> high employment because we're uh, liberating the economy a little bit. But uh, never mind the reality of that. But just, I mean, you're an actual writer. I'm a best-selling author, but you're an actual writer. <laughs> well, I put words in my book. You put yeah, words think, in your book? Yeah, my uh, mistake, yeah. The... the protagonist of this movie. His name is Cassius Green. Oh, wow. Do you get it? I get it. I get it. You get it, right? Wow, that's so deep. In case you didn't get it, he (laughs) says, my nickname is Cash. So in case you didn't get it, do you know, uh, at at the end of the, uh, here's a spoiler alert, doesn't matter. Don't even, you're not going to go see this movie. (laughs) Nobody is listening. Uh, At the end of it, they find out that the capitalist is literally turning the workers into horses. They're turning them into work horses. Literally doing. Do this. you get it? Yeah. Do yeah. you get it? it's really? This is the sort of subtlety, That's, Drew. I've just I, never, know, I've never been able to get out of your. Well, your look. Work. At least he's not killing babies to save money. You know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It was really. You really must go see it just to see how horrific it is, especially I, because you're an artist. <laughs> I, I will wait until it's on uh, Netflix. I think I don't want to give anybody any money. But he's a communist. He doesn't want my money, right? That's right. He doesn't. Yeah. He look. He you doesn't got it for free. I take it. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it's really. It is crazy to imagine if a director came out and said, oh, "I'm a Nazi." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm a Nazi. No, yeah. I'm a Nazi. I'm making a Nazi movie. Yeah. But no, when it's a com- communists are, have a lot more blood on their hands than the Nazis, yeah. and they, they get away with murder, literally. What's on your show today? So today, we're going to be talking about, I don't know if you've uh, asked this question before, Drew, but is truth truth? Is truth <laughs> truth? I don't know. We're going to be talking about Mr. Mayor and explaining why his statement, which is on the face a real gotcha, obviously yeah. not true, why he actually is completely right. He's completely when it comes, right, yeah. He's completely yeah. right when it comes to the media, when it comes to Democratic operatives, and we're going to show ex- expose that point by point. But at least they're honest enough not to say he stuffed women into binders. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. All right. Thanks a lot, Knowles. I'll talk to you later. See you, Drew. Bye. All right. <laughs> Remember, the conversation... It's Wednesday, you said? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah, it's tomorrow. The conversation tomorrow with Knowles. Subscribe now so you can ask him questions and make him deeply, deeply uncomfortable. Our crappy culture. So this is a a sad story that has this kind of evil humor to it that a bunch of people were making fun of, but it's it's not really that funny. Uh, ISIS militants uh, killed... um, Three people, two people, uh, they killed, no, wait, I'm sorry, four tourists. They killed four tourists in Tajikistan or somewhere like this. And one of them, uh, a guy named Austin, was taking a, they were taking a round the world bicycle trip. And he was writing and blogging and he said, you read the papers and you're led to believe that the world is a big, scary place. People, the narrative goes, are not to be trusted. People are bad. People are evil. I don't buy it. Evil is a make-believe concept we've invented to deal with the complexities of fellow humans holding values and beliefs and perspectives different from our own. By and large, humans are kind, self-interested sometimes, myopic sometimes, but kind, generous, and wonderful, and kind. And he was then killed by ISIS. So 
the story goes around, and of course, there is something ironic, I guess is the word, right? Because it's not funny that these young people were killed, and it's not funny, you know, I mean, look, look, most of us when we're young have wrong concepts. We are, uh, we are idealistic, and most of us learn things from experience, but you want to live through the experience to learn it. So they, the fact that they got killed by ISIS is because ISIS is evil. So there, this, there is this ironic uh, contrast between these, this blog, evil is a make-believe concept we've invented to deal with the complexity of fellow humans holding values and beliefs and perspectives different than our own, and ISIS holding values and beliefs different from our own, which include murdering this guy. And the mistake that people make with this, I was on a panel of writers once talking about evil, and they all made the same mistake, is we... The, the true truths of life are spiritual truths, and they exist on the spiritual plane, like ideas. Like ideas, they have no material being. We give them material being with our words, with our flesh, with our actions. We are the words, the language with which the spiritual world expresses itself. Evil is more real than you and me. Evil is more real than you and me, but even an evil person usually just expresses it Somewhat, right? Even you know, even Hitler was nice to his dog. Humans do not express absolute evil, but that doesn't mean that absolute evil doesn't exist. The expression of evil in the world comes from people like ISIS who murdered this guy. And the mistake they make is when they meet people and they find things that uh, they, they're certainly right that most people are perfectly nice and fine. But when they when they the mistake they make is they meet people who are evil and they find something that they can relate to in them because they're also human beings they don't understand that the evil exists on a spiritual plane that is more real than this one and that is the contrast there it's not funny because people lost their lives but it is uh ironic that we have this culture that has is so rich so safe so well to do that it has forgotten it feels insulated from the spiritual truths of life you are never insulated from them they're always real they're always there and not just evil but good as well all right tomorrow we will be back and uh, what have we got a guest tomorrow uh, we do. Um, we, we have no idea who it is, but it's going to be somebody fantastic. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. Be there then. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.